0: Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Stepping Into She podcast. My name is Courtney, the creator of Stepping Into She and your host for this podcast. The segment you're about to listen to entitled Women in Justice talks about and delves into the conversation of women and young girls in the justice system. We get real about conversations around criminalization of black girls and education in the justice system. The pathways to criminalization and confinement for women. The difference between resources and programs available for young boys and young girls, as well as men and women returning home what justice looks like for young women, how trauma and healing is something that is needed but often overlooked, and so much more. The amazing women that I get to chat with today share their experience, whether through firsthand experience, education, or on-the-ground work that contributes to the need, education, and advocacy for women in justice and policy change. I hope that you guys feel compelled after listening to this episode to be a part of the solution to get more involved and to advocate for change for women in the justice system. So thank you everyone for coming and listening to the Stepping Into Sheet podcast. My name is Courtney, your host, and I am thrilled to be here today with Miss Sharon White-Harrington. Har- See, I said it wrong. I knew I was going to say it wrong. <laughs> I said I knew I was going to say it wrong. All so right. Harrigan. <laughs> Harrigan, <laughs> yes. So please tell us a little bit about who you are, introduce yourself to us, and then tell us a bit about the work that you've been doing.
1: Oh, well, I- First, I have to say, Courtney, thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. Um, my name is Sharon White-Harrigan, Reverend Sharon White-Harrigan. Um, in my official capacity, I am the executive director of the Women's Community Justice Association, also known as WCJA. And WCJA is, uh, we're a leader in, in building change for women um, who are impacted by women and gender expansive people, right, who are impacted by mass incarceration and we consider ourselves the experts. We are the experts in cultivating relationships and partnerships with women and gender expansive people that, with lived experience, and activating them right to take the, the lead in creating change in the system that has impacted us the most. And we are led by women uh, with lived experience. I myself has done a, um, a eleven years. Ten years in uh, Bedford Hills Correctional Facility, and a combination of a year on Rikers Island prior to going upstate. Uh, majority of our board is women with lived experience and directly impacted um, people, and and our and our mission is to uh, disrupt and dismantle. Right. The unjust, racially charged systems that target the Black and the Brown community, um, and perpetuate trauma and violence and harm to women, trans, and gender expansive um, people, and you know, so we're we're just we continue continuously advocate um, for all racial and and budget justice. Um, to reduce the number of incarcerations in the community and, and fight for long-term stability um, of vulnerable female and gender expansive people um, who have, you know, a history involved in a criminal injustice uh, system, you know, and we just fight for broader reforms within that. Awesome.
0: That was so good. There were so many things in that introduction that I want to touch on. And I yeah. know we'll get to that throughout the um, throughout our conversation. But really quickly, I did want to say I think it's so important that you said the board is made up of women who have that lived experience. Because I think yes. a lot of times there are so many people making decisions that have no idea what it's like. And they're making, and some of them really great intentions. And I, I, I don't want to take away from that. But I think it's super important to ensure that When we're talking about a certain population, that there are representatives of that population to to give that. Yes,
1: yes. So important. So, closest to the problem are closest to the solutions.
0: Oh, I I gotta quote that. Okay. (laughs) Y'all gonna see that on the page. I gotta quote that. Those closest to the problem are the closest to the solution. I love that. Yes, Tony. I love that. I love that. Um, All right, so let's let's jump in with our first question. And it's really kind of um, an overview of this, but. Research tells us that women, and particularly black women, we were talking about um, the injustices of the criminal justice system, are amongst the fastest growing population of incarcerated people. What does the research tell us about this? And if there is a lack of research out there, what does that tell us
1: about this? Well, I think that it's it's very clear that, you know, the number of women that are in prison and jail has increased, and it, it actually increased more Um, Over, research says, um, 716%, um, almost twice the rate of men, right? And in 2019, the imprisonment rate for women of color at 83 per 100,000 was over 1.7 times the rate of imprisonment of white women right, who are at 48 per 100,000. So what research actually tells us is that Black women are overrepresented in the system, but underrepresented out of it. And it also tells us that the Black and brown communities, especially women, are targeted people. That's what the research, I mean, to sum it up for those who might not, you know, who are not into statistics, data, and numbers, right, is that, you know, um, we are targeted, you know, and, and certain impoverished communities um, that they they go into. And and it's a whole thing, I think, even from the beginning of time with women. It's something about women going back to even slavery. Let's go back to even biblical times that is intimidating. You know, it's this always this love-hate relationship. We were, you know, ripped away from from our families to work and, and raise the white man's, uh, uh, the white family's children to uh, pick cotton in their field and to clean their house and to get raped by their men. But, you know, in the same token, we were good enough, right? to To sit with their children and raise their children, but not for us to be educated, right? So there's always just been, you know, uh, this thing when it came to women of color, right? The white man couldn't resist us and, and, and the white women hated us mm. because of that, you know? So there was always just this, this thing and, it, and it's just trickled down, right? From past to present and there's just, they found more ways, better ways, right? To enslave
0: us, and I think that's so. I want to touch on something you said. I think that's so important. Is um, is two things. the f- The first thing is, I think when we have these conversations, we have to understand that the that Black women are not the traditional victims. They don't look like the traditional right. victims, so the conversation is different. But you also touched on Black women are overrepresented overrepresented in the system, but underrepresented outside the system. Talk a little bit about that for those who are listening who may not really understand what
1: that means. What that means is that they, that, you know, the rate of of women of color are increasing, you know, they quick to lock us up, right? Without looking at the backdrop, without looking at the traumas, without looking at the obstacles and the poverty that we were made to be in, right? Um, and, and so outside of the system, there's not a whole lot of um resources. I mean, now, as we advocate for women, you know, where we're starting to have more resources available and creating it and fight for it, but women are never brought to the table organically. We have to fight. We have to rise up and say, hey, and what about, and, and, and the women, and the women, and it's like, oh yeah, and the women too, as if we're in, you know, as an afterthought right no one says everything has always been and i i i honor and i respect my our brothers and 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 people in the movement but the reality is, women are the heart and the post of the community. We are the fabric of our families. You know, we are the ones that are the heads of the household. When the men were getting locked up, or when daddy didn't want to be daddy, when you know, men just decided that they wanted to be a rolling stone and community property. Right? That it was the it's the women, and we don't got so beat down in it right that you know people always you know always look at us as to be resilient so it's as if we don't need the help it's as if we don't need the support it's as if we don't need the nourishing because we are the ones that do it we're the nurturers we're the caregivers so people look at us and say oh they good there was a doctor that actually um Performed hysterectomies. I can't recall his name right now, but at one time, uh, performed hysterectomies on on women of color without any anesthesia, anything, because he, he in his thinking, thinking that women didn't black women didn't feel pain. Now. You know, so just understanding that because we endured the whipping, because we endured the separation of our family, because we endured the rapes and the brutality and the horrors of seeing us being separated from our families, our husband, everything that we know that we don't need, that we're not in need.
0: Yes, yes. That's so, everything you said is so powerful. And you actually, I want to transition from my questions and go to this question, because I think you touched on it, and we about to go right into it. <laughs> okay. Which is when we talk about, you know, the resources for women, trauma and healing is something that is needed, but often overlooked when we're talking about supporting women who are coming home. How important is this in that conversation? And what does it look like to have adequate resources that target the trauma um, and healing that is needed amongst Black women who are, who have been system involved?
1: Oh, it's, I mean, it's everything. Let me just say, it shouldn't even be, even in the conversation, it should be in the air, right? It should be in the air because we come from a place of trauma, this is, this is why we are, you know, um, a hurt people, right? We, it's, it's weaved in the fabric of our DNA. And so the one thing that I'm very clear about, um, and I'm gonna just, you know, put on my, my social work at, because I am a therapist, that um, to have the conversations of trauma would, would mean accountability. Yes. Accountability and people don't want to be held accountable. People don't want to admit that they have done harm to us. And don't get me wrong, because there's that 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 group of the 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 black and the brown community, the black community, right? Let's just start with the black community as a whole. We are a harmed people. But then within that, the women are even more harmed because not only have we been harmed from other uh, outside from the, from white people, but we've been harmed from even our own, from our own men, from our own people, right? Uh, Within our family units, within our communities. And so, you know, when we talk about trauma, we have to talk about healing, but it's not talked about, you know, we talk about it, but it's almost this, this, this taboo word, because nobody wants to commit to, to the wrongs, right? Because to talk about trauma, we have to say, we did this to them. We did this to them, that we created this people. It's not like we came dumb, deaf, and mute. We didn't, right? They needed us because of our skills and abilities, right? And so to, to acknowledge that, right, is to say, hey, you know what? We have to relinquish this power and control, right? Because this is what we've done. So what they did is they linked out trauma and they call it now mental health, right? And so now everybody, most of the Black community have a mental health problem. Now the common word is Bipolar and borderline personality <laughs> disorder, right. schizophrenia, paranoia, schizo, you know, we they just found another way rather than just saying that they are traumatized because of the harms that have been inflicted, and because of that, and I'm going to say this out loud. Ex-slaves sometimes make the worst masters. So the oppression that has been done to us, we have been so oppressed for so long, we started oppressing each other. We started Mm -hmm. oppressing ourselves, you know? So we, we need to not only just talk about trauma it needs to be and there's this thing you know this we should be trauma-informed no we also need to be trauma responsive so it should be in the air it should be in everything that we do we need to recognize that there's trauma and that not only just resources but it's about support and healing Mm -hmm. no black people don't need programs they need healing Black people don't need treatment, they need healing. Black people don't need rehabilitation, they need reparation. That's what is needed. So, when we start, you know, these are the things that kind of put us in this box, right? So when we when we start looking, and this is what WCJA, one of the things that we're really big about is language, right? Is understanding that we have been so programmed, programmatic, pro, uh, institutionalized treatment, you know, rehabilitation, correction, correctional, all of these things. And and how does and 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 how has that worked? I wait. It hasn't. It hasn't because that is not that's not what's needed for us to to have a healthy life, mm. right? We have to we have to learn how to not just live without traumas but reconcile with it, right? Because we we compartmentalize, but then it comes out in other ways. Then it comes out in these maladaptive behaviors, where then we wind up in the system, right? because we don't know where to put those traumas. We don't know what to do with that childhood abuse. We don't know what to do knowing that our family, our ancestors been enslaved and that, you know, your parents or your parents' parents was born in slavery. We don't know what to do when you got the daylights beat out of you. We don't know what to, you know, so it's, it is bigger than a treatment, a rehabilitation center, all of these things. It's about healing, learning how to, this is what has happened to me. I might not never get over it in life, but I understand that it wasn't my fault and what didn't kill me made me stronger, that this is a stepping stone, that I'm going to use this to empower myself because no one is going to have power over me anymore. And that's what it's about to reconcile, you know, with um, our traumas. So healing it should always be, healing should be in the conversation, not rehabilitation, healing, Mm. not treatment. Healing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, yes. And if you guys heard a pause, it was because when she said accountability, we were both like boom. Okay. It <laughs> <laughs> was like, yes,
1: might
0: yes, mic drop on that one. <laughs> um, so you kind of brought us you, you you kind of brought us back to the original part of the conversation, which is awesome <laughs> because we're just flowing today and um Talking about some of the pathways to criminalization or confinement for women, and how have these pathways actually increased over time with the increase of women in the system? Or has it, has it, has it increased or has it just changed? Kind of talking a little bit about that.
1: Oh, it definitely increased. I mean, so we know uh, all things lead to uh, the path to trauma almost, right? So poverty. Right, the lack of employment, lack of education, homelessness, addiction, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, um, all of these things, you know, um is it's trauma. We're under the umbrella of of trauma and and it increased. Of course it is, especially since the pandemic, you know, domestic violence has increased. And 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 so here's this. The the problem is is that again, as women, right, and this is something that we just need to work on, we take care of everybody else but ourselves. Right? And we feel when we love, we love hard, right? We feel that you know if we don't take care of people, we're inadequate. There's we we're, we're useless, right? And then we wind up in, in this pit of despair, right? Because when it comes time to um feed your children and you don't know where the next meal is gonna come from, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna do what you need to do. You're gonna steal, you're gonna rob, you're gonna prostitute, you're gonna do all of these things because it's called survival, right? And it, it it has increased because there is nothing that this country offers us as as Black people, especially as Black women, right? And until reparation has been made, it's going to continue to increase, right? Because we have nothing. We started off with nothing, you know? And we're working with nothing, right? So when you have nothing, you're working with nothing, it's going to produce nothing but but problems more problems more issues and then when you compound that with you know you're broken and then you get with somebody who's broken as well then you have nothing but brokenness there is no chance of survival at that point I mean there's no chance of anything healthy coming out of that Two broken pieces put together have fractures you know? And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's, we have to, we have to find a way of making it work for ourselves. We can't depend on, look for the government and and look for the country and look for society because time and time again, they have failed us. Yes.
0: They have failed us. And I think, um, And just thinking about some of the research out there and just some of the misconceptions that are out there, assuming that women are committing offenses because of like gang or violence or things like that, which, which I don't want to say is not true. I think some of the research may point to that, but it seems like the majority of the research and the majority of these pathways are really about survival. And that's not a part of the conversation. There is this piece of the conversation, right? There's a piece of the conversation that's saying they're violence, but but then the survival is that bigger piece. And even talking about how, as some women go through the criminal justice system, they have they actually receive harsher sentences um, than men, and we don't talk about that.
1: We don't talk about it because, again, it's about accountability. And and we need to have more conversations about women and violence. Hurt people hurt people. And for so long, women have been hurt, right? To this present day, we continue. When you have packaged trauma, right? When you have trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma, and, and here's this. You know, society has a way of making it OK, mm. right? It's OK for us to be traumatized, right? Who cares, right? And so when you have this compounded trauma, what else? Pressure your bus pipes. And I'm not saying, you know, no way do we ever want to diminish crime. But we need to understand all the behaviors, all the signs that led to this moment, right? all of the things, if someone has been nothing but hurt in their life, if someone has been abused and, and mistreated and, and, and watched and witnessed and, and been involved in violence, then what do you expect? Let's go even back to slavery, right? To, to even learn how to read and write. We got whipped for it, right? to cry for your children, we got ripped for it, right? They even had us fighting against each other, right, as some sort of sport. So how do they not think that even in that, the anger, right, there's a, there's a level of, of anger that is in the Black community, right? Because what could we have ever done as a people to warrant, right? The the disdain and the violence and the harm against us. Nothing, nothing, you know? And even time after time, anywhere you turn and everything you do in systems, welfare, uh, child welfare, uh, um, Medicaid, Medicare, any system you could think of, right? Including the educational system works against us right? What is left for us to do?
0: Mm, And you brought me to a question um, that that is in line with the topic. It's not one of the questions (laughs) that I have prepared, but I want to ask it because I think it came up in another conversation and I think it's important to insert here is the criminalization of Black women, period. So just the normal day-to-day actions and, you know, just thinking about when we're talking about young girls who are in school and the criminalization of their hair or maybe how they talk or how they act. And feeling, feeling that it's wrong to be ourselves. And then yeah. compounding that with the trauma, with the survival and all of that, we get to a point where, like you said, you, you just burst <laughs> and it happens. Um, where does that come into the conversation when we're talking about women in justice, about the injustice, not just within the system, but when we're talking about the criminalization of Black women? Period.
1: You know, again, this is just slavery by another name, you know, Um, another way to keep us oppressed. Are you kidding me? This is, you know, I, I think that for the most part, when we talk about white supremacy, how dare Black people think that they are going to rise above the rim? You know, we had a Black president and they disrespected him and his wife and his family, right? Um, They criminalized every because that's just, it's a form of control. That is the control, right? That's, you know, why, why do I need to have my hair straight? Why can't I wear my hair natural? Right, why can't we be, because you know what? I think first off, I'm gonna say intimidation. Black people intimidate the rest, right? There's a beauty in our people, right? There is a beauty in our people. And I think that they are intimidated by the intelligence. They are intimidated by our strength and resilience. They are intimidated by our level of different uh, categories of shade. I think that they are intimidated by everything black, yes. right? So they do everything by putting the devil on a, on, a, on a food box, on a cake mix box, things like that to, to keep us here, right, mm. underfoot, to keep us so that we, we know our place, Right, so that even our children who are growing up in the age of technology, who are growing up in, and I, I remember when when George Floyd um, got killed, brutally killed, and and they were out in the streets. This young, this young woman had a sign that said, "We." Are not our ancestors. We will F you up. Okay? Like they I'm just saying. So they intimidated, right? Because I think that the one thing that right now that uh uh that I think society, white supremacy and it okay, that is scared of is that our power is shifting. Ooh. Within, within, within our own, right? That we're no longer that docile, uh, uh, you know, passive group, right? That they have enslaved way back. That they, they come to understand that everything that they own was built on the backs of us, right? And one day, they, they're really scared of that day when we rise up and say we're taking it all back. This is what we own. So I think their way of keeping that contained is by just that, by our children in the schools, by the workplace, right? By by the welfare, by the systems, the governmental systems, which by the way, were never created with us in mind, right? never created with us in mind because back then you know when the white women the white widows and the white orphan children oh they gave them everything they got right Mm. the minute that black people needed assistance then you couldn't even own an iron oh we're going to check your closet for men clothes we're going to do you know so in everything you know, it's criminalized because that's another form of enslavement, Hmm. right? So slavery, I mean, even down to the Constitution, right, where the 13th Amendment says, you know, slavery is basically abolished uh, unless you are incarcerated. Hmm. The Dred Scott Law, so when you have law-abiding citizens that Look at the Dred Scott law and say, oh, wow, well, black people is what? not even, you're not even a citizen. You don't have the right. Mm. You're three-fifths of a human. You know, that part, right? Mm. So this is just another way of keeping us oppressed, keeping us hindered, that we, they need to control who we are, the way we look, the way we talk. The way we, you know, and and when that doesn't work, then we're gonna lock your asses up. Right.
0: right. Mm, that was a lot. That was a lot. There was a lot in that. I hope y'all are who are listening. You caught all of that, okay? <laughs> because she gave us a lot. She gave us a lot, and it's it's a lot to think about. I think the bottom line is, like you said, just another way of control. So we're gonna make it this the standard because you don't fit the standard, and then that's how we control. Everything that happens, everything that happens. Yes. Um. Mm, that was a lot. <laughs> <Yes>. So, <laughs> you touched on something that I want to ask about, and I think we we often talk about women being the support system for men who are coming home, but we never have the conversation about women who need the support when they are in the system. Um, why is that? Why? Why? Why has it been so? profound that we are saying, oh, the women are, for lack of better terms, holding it down. And then when it comes to women who are in the system, that conversation kind of
1: takes the back burner. Because I think it, it goes back to looking at us as, as the caregivers, as the nurturers, as all of that. So, you know, people see us so much as that, that they don't see us. They don't think about where we need to draw our strength from. How do we need to recharge our battery, you know? And, and you're so right. You go into a men's prison visiting room and you see all women. You go into a woman's prison room and you're gonna see all women, right? And, you know, I, I, it, the unfortunate thing is, is that we shouldn't have to be resilient. We shouldn't have to muster up all the strength that we have, right? Why can't I just be a woman? Why can't I just be? Why do I have to be a woman of strength? Why do yes, I have to be a resilient woman. Right? And so why do I have to have all them adverbs in front? I'm just we shouldn't, right? And I think and here's another thing that kind of irks me, you know, and, and I don't know who would agree. But, you know, even men and people have a way to say, oh, you know, you're my queen, you know? And in in some way, you know, you say, oh, yeah, you know, that seems like you're, you're given this status, but then queens are in a kingdom and still look at the king as my lord. So there's still this hierarchy, you know? So even in that mindset, right? There's still not equality. There still isn't equality, and so with again, we're built differently. Could so we bear children? You know, so even back then, although men kind of experienced some of the things we did, even within slavery, but to bear children and to be separated from them, and all of these other things, this this innate. Uh, Natural, organic, built-in level of—I don't even—I don't even, even know—it surpasses strength, right? This ex- extraordinary um, level of resilience that we have, and so it's for us. We can sit and wait for our man to come out twenty-five years. The minute we get locked up, I give it two months, if—if if that they already done filter spot, right? With another woman, because they just, they're not built like us, you know? And so we are left to fend for ourselves. And maybe that's something that we also need to work on, right? Because we, we try to be that, to be everything to everybody, except for ourselves. Come on. Right? And that's that problem and so if we start putting ourselves first right then people may even within our own community will come to understand that you know we have to do this thing on our own right because even for our black men right has caused us harm you know has has harmed us and and you know and i'm not going to say it's all but the fact of the matter is is that we are there for everybody and no one is there for us so they it seems like we're the surge plug we're plugged into the wall and then all of these other plugs is is into us right but we, we, our source then has to come from our higher power our faith our belief, our hope, because it sure isn't in the people around us, because we're the one that's outsourcing, you know, so they look at it as this, you know, we are uh, on automatic recharge, like we don't need love back, like we don't need to be invested in, like we don't need to be nurtured, right and people don't they they don't look at us as that because we are the ones that's always putting that out oh
0: yes yes to all of that (laughs) yes to all of that all of that and I think this kind of brings me to another question I have and I've had this conversation a little bit before and really thinking about the resources that are available for women versus the resources available for men and I think sometimes when we notice resources, we see them from you have to get employment to be a better mother. You have to get this to be a better mother. So everything is kind of tied to children. But talk a little bit about the lack of resources or the, the, the lack of resources or the difference in resources for men and women who are returning home. And what is needed to fill that gap?
1: Well. Uh, first off, women have different needs more than men. And and we come from, and I'm not saying that men don't have traumas, right? But when women come home, more than likely, they have to come and get their children. They have to, you know, I I mean, the, the reality of things is in this time, now, women are the heads of households. Most men you will find live with their wife woman uh mother aunt sister they live with a woman right and but when it comes to resources and programming it always seems like there's just or or or, or services is it's always for the men right because they don't look at us again you know they look at us They don't want to acknowledge our traumas. So it all ties in together, right? Because to acknowledge our traumas would have to, there has to be uh, an accountability, you know? So even, even in the dynamics of men getting more time, I mean, men getting less time than women is because for us, we should be barefoot and pregnant in the house. What are we doing out? So it was almost more acceptable for a man to commit a crime than a woman, right? So coming out, it's like, they still, even for women, we still see when even the thought of a woman president, oh my God, a woman president, and this is women. So we don't, you know, we don't, See, and I I just, it baffles me sometimes, because if we are the heart and the pulse, right, to invest in us is to invest in the men, right? Why don't we, right? But it still goes back to that institutional, patriotical line of thinking that men are still the head of the household. That men are still the provider. That men are still, you know, and it's not the case. We, you know, we need to move with the train. The train is moving, right? And it has moved that women are the most in the in the workplace, in in school, in 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 child care, and heading the household, in the pulpit. You name it, doggone it. We changed the batteries in the remote. I'm just saying. So it. We, we are independent in that way. And I think that, again, in some countries, women are seen as second-class citizens. So in, in some way, that, that mentality is adapted, that women don't need these things. Why? Because we are resilient. They're going to survive anyway. They're going to survive anyway. But let's let's invest in the men, and, and, and that's, that's still that old way of thinking. And and again, we are, have been so oppressed that we have oppressed ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why WCJA organizations like WCJA and there's a, and there's a number of gender specific organizations, but it's important that women are brought to the platform because we understand it. You know, we do uh, run the community. We are the community. You know. And so because of the lack of resources, again, is why you also see the increase. It all comes back full circle. The increase in incarceration, right? Because you, when you know better, you do better. When you have more, you do more, right? And so when there isn't that for the women, it's almost like another, you want to keep the women underfoot. Mm. You know, so that's another way of keeping out control of us by not having what is needed for us, right? We have to do all of these things to get our children, this and that, but no one ever stopped to think the reason why I was, you know, so-and-so was out there was for their children, right? And if you gave them the support, not the help, because what does help really look like? right, they gave them the, res- the support and the resources needed, then they wouldn't have to. How many women say, well, you know, that would say, oh, I don't care about my children. You'll hear women say, my children are everything to me, but they don't have, no one is giving them the tools. No one is showing, is showing them how to navigate do this thing here called life. Why? Because it's generational. Mm. Right? And you only pass down what you what you know. Mm. Right? Not what you don't know.
0: Mm. And I think what you said earlier is investing in the women is investing in the men. It's investing in the community. Like
1: is investing in the community.
0: Period. And I think part yeah. of that is part of that is not just investing in women to who are returning home to get their 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 kids back but investing in them to be better like what does that look like like yes let's talk about the trauma. let's talk about the things that you went through let's talk about this because then that trickles down into to your families into your children so when you're like hey yeah so when you're like hey you have to do this to get your kids back no you have to do this to survive to be sustainable
1: so we're talking about uh prevention Intervention, we're talking about all of that. Let's talk about, you know, getting the women before it even gets to that point of desperation, right? Getting to the men, teaching them how to be active in the family without putting their hands on the mother of their children or their girlfriend or their wives. It's those things, right? It's being able to invest right in the people, not the programs, right? We need to invest in people, right? Because we are harmed and we come flawed, right? And we come with these obstacles and, and this trauma in our DNA, this trauma in our DNA that is weaved in the fabric of our bloodline, right? And so if we offer resources, right? Because I don't hear nobody talking about reparation. Y'all, the community's got it. Right? So why can't, why can't black people get it? Why can't they have reparation? Why can't their children go to a private school for free? Why can't they get a great education? Why can't, you know, they get enough money so where they ain't gotta go into supportive housing or transitional housing, or be dependent on the government with food stamps and and cash assistance, and then you gotta put the the child's father on a a child support. All of these ways is just keeping the community oppressed.
0: Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) All of that, (laughs) yes, yes. So, like, I'm processing a lot of that. It's (laughs) like, I needed a second second to take it in. Um, So, yes, all of that. And I think one thing you said is just investing in the people instead of investing in the programs. And I think even when we're talking about reentry or even prevention or all of that, we're investing in the programs to make them better. But how does that invest in the people? How how does the money pour back into the community? How does the money pour back into the people that are there as opposed to just paying people to come in and do these services? What does that mean for the people? And then, <laughs> like you said, investing in the women is investing
1: in the community. So <laughs> it, it, it becomes about numbers. It It becomes about a case manager managing a case versus a life coach showing you, right, how to chisel out your pathway in life, right? So it's those things, right? And, th- and that's the difference between the boys and the girls, right? Is that women, we need to learn, you know, how to retake these tools. And that goes with that old cliche, you know, don't give someone a fish to eat for the day, but you teach them how to fish so that they can live. Right, and I think that we as women, especially women of color, we exist, but we we have yet to live, right? Big difference, we exist, we here, but we're so harmed, we're so broken, we're so damaged, we're so hurt, we're so everything, we fall because we have to carry the load. We got the globe on the top of our head and our shoulders carrying it around like a weave back, basket back in Africa, right? This is us. This is what we do. And we forget how to live. We don't even know what happy is anymore. We don't know what joy is coming from the inside because we are too busy fighting the good fight. We are too busy being resilient and strong
0: y'all okay she just spoke a word okay <laughs> we're over here doing our class and our point like yes if you know you know like yes you know, you know. yes <laughs> yes yes um that is that all of that is is so profound and so powerful and i think one of the things that comes out of that is shifting the narrative of the conversation mm-hmm. and really what does that look like when we're talking about shifting the ma- the narrative of women who um, are in the justice system or returning home from the justice system, how do we, learn, how do we take what we've learned and, and create change, not just in the narrative, but
1: in the policies that exist? I think that it's important that, again, here people are the experts in their experience, I think we need to stop having people tell our narrative. We need to tell it ourselves. We need to know how to package what it is that we need to say. We need to be able to apply it to the policies that are out or, or maybe that need to exist, right? I think that, you know, um, that we need to have these conversations in in every way in every place in everything that we do and say that it should be coming to us a household right that women are not just a part of this discussion but they are the discussion right because we are the ones we are the the arms the octopus with the arms and so i think that you know we need to uh have these conversations with everybody from your neighbor down to writing a letter to to the lawmakers to uh going down to city hall to calling up your senators and your assemblymen see what we don't under i think that black people have been so disconnected from uh what's around us from our roots our community that that we forgot that these people that are put in place that we put them there, right? They're supposed to be the people's choice, right? So in, in, in that, right, we need to start pushing who we need in there, not by because, oh, they're they Black or, or, or they're saying the right things, but really looking into who's representing us, right? What are our needs? let's start being vocal about it. Let's start having town halls. Let's start going to town halls. Let's start, you know, just having these, you know, uh, community meetings. Let's just really start having these hard conversations. What about women with violence? What about, you know, what has happened in our community? What about the youth? What about, we need to really just start having these these conversations in everything and in every place, and that we need to not just rise up when something happened um, that's, you know, that's significant or, you know, at that moment, we need to rise up every day, every day, every day. We need to step up and step out, right? We need to be loud and proud because the only way that we You know, there's that saying, be the change that you want to see in the world. And to be that change means that you got to get up and help make that change, right? You got to be a part of the solution, right? We no longer want to be looked at as the problem because we have the solutions. We know what our needs are, right? And we can no longer be afraid to speak up right so we need to speak up write op-eds right write write the newspaper right tag people in on twitter and social media we got all of these different platforms that we need to utilize in a meaningful way and i don't want to take away from anyone but on facebook instead of taking pictures of your dinner plate you know we need to start talking about these real hardcore Core issues that are plaguing our community. That's how we make a difference. We have have access, let's use it, in a meaningful way. Mm. That's going to embetter us, that's going to help us get to the next level. Because if not, they're not going to do it. They're not going to include us. They haven't been. And how long? Since the beginning of time. Okay. Mm. Can't expect things to change now unless we affect change. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yes. Yes. And if you post in on a picture of your dinner plate, make sure there's, make sure there's a call to action with that. Okay. (laughs) Make sure you got that on there. I do want to ask you though, as an organization that has women with lived experience, what, what are, is there a right or wrong way to, to change the makeup of the table to include women who have lived experience? Is there a right or wrong way to do that for those who may be listening who are like, I want to I want to take that step and, and and expand the membership or expand what the boardroom looks like to include women who have lived lived experience? What does that look like? and is there a right or wrong way to do
1: that? I think that the wrong way is to continue the way you've been continuing, right? The right way is to say, let's the same people that we service are the same people we need, they're emerging leaders, right? We need to develop them, right? And the same way that we pick people out to do a story on, to hear their narrative, is the same people we need to, they need to help mold and develop and bring them to the table and say, you know what, you're not just about your story, right? You're not. You are a part of the, you are the solution, yes. right? So it, 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 it and it, it baffles me because people like to sit around and talk, and, 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 and here's this, I so appreciate those who are our allies and co-conspirators and, and you know, our friends in the movement. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have a a history of people uh, going to write a book and call themselves experts in the criminal justice uh, or injustice um, because they don't went to the prisons and got collected stories from people who were in there. I mean, the reality is you're an author of the book. Who's the expert is the person who you got the story from. Those are the experts, right? Because they're the ones, they have that experience, that lived experience. So if they're good enough, and here's this, and then the people you make all of this money off of somebody, so here goes the cycle, right? So instead of saying, hey, I need your story for my book, how about saying, hey, I, I would like for you to co-author this book with me? Okay, that's when we're talking about when we start talking about reparation and what that looks like. Stop looking at people. See, the problem is, is that we look at people as, as in in need rather than deserving, right? In so need stop,
0: of rather in need right? rather than deserving.
1: People in need as if they're in need, but look at them as that they deserve it. Right. And then you shift that lens, right? So now it's, oh, well, before we have this discussion about people incarcerated or with lived experience, let's bring people to the table with lived experience because we can learn from them. You know, we can learn from them. And I think that's we've fallen just into this this horrible pattern, right, of do-gooding. Mm. right and 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 identifying what a person needs rather than bringing the person so they can tell you exactly what they need boom you'll see that it looks a little bit different right yeah.
0: and so we talk even, about we talk about that even you know in in juvenile justice we always say you know the the traditional it's non-traditional or thinking outside the box to bring people with lived experience to the table because that doesn't that's not a part of the that's not a part of the process. It's not a part of the the makeup of it. So to even do that, one, not only are you being non-traditional thinking outside the box, but you're actually you know, if you're not doing that, you're doing a disservice, not just to the population, but to the work that you're supposed to be
1: doing. That's Right. And to, make, and to make people comfortable means that you would have to be uncomfortable. You know, the problem is people see us as characters in the book rather than the author. I am the author and orchestra, orchestrator of my life. So I am the author, right? I, I might've played the character, but I'm not that character. I'm not the only character, right? So I am the author of this and that's what people need to shift, right? They see us and and, 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 and that's another form of, of, of oppressive ways, right? Is thinking that, okay, well, we're going to get, uh, well, we're gonna hear their stories and and then we're gonna take it and we're going to make it into an op-ed and we're gonna send it out or we're gonna send it to the funders rather than saying, hey, would you like to co-write this with me? Now, even if you might feel like you don't have the writing skills, how about you you tell me what you want us to know and I'll put it together for you. See, that's called collaboration. That's called collective, right? that's what it's called, you know, mm. outside of that, then it still becomes oppression. Mm. Mm. Right? Yes. I'm gonna keep you here, but I'm gonna make all this money off your back. Mm. That doesn't, that, that sounds like slavery. Do you hear that? That sounds like the bill of the master. I'm just saying.
0: Boom. okay. you I heard that. <laughs> y'all heard that (laughs) now um i do (laughs) i do want to ask you (laughs) i'm sorry you missed if you you're listening you can't see the hand movements
1: that were going on but if you know you know
0: (laughs) um now i know you touched on this before but i want to just ask this directly for anyone who may have missed it or may still be trying to figure out what it is tell us what justice looks like um for women for women who have been through the system, but
1: particularly what does that look like for black women? It looks like reparation. You know, it looks like being able to have a a, a opportunity to live, right? That means that, you know, We don't have to be tied down to this program or this treatment or this service in order for us to get an apartment, in order for us to have our children, in order for us to put food in the house, in order for us to live a life that somebody else is managing and and writing, keeping a file. It, It looks like us independently living our life outside of systems period
0: period. Pa- period period that's it there it is it. <laughs> there it is there it is um this was amazing thank yep. you this was so good <laughs> this you. was so so good and i do have one last question um and it's in line obviously with the name stepping into she and i want to ask what this means to you so what does stepping into she mean to you and what has been one way that you have done that
1: throughout your work that you're doing? Wow, stepping into she, stepping into she means that I am in my my true self. I am unapologetic about who I am today, honey. Okay, and I'm shaking my head, folks, for those who can't see. Yes going from side to side it is being you right no facade No that I have to be this one for that person I have to be that one for for that but I am who I am and it is it's a wonderful thing that i didn't have to reinvent myself i just discovered myself right that's that's who i am right and this is and who i am is a woman who has a history of incarceration i'm not even formally incarcerated anymore i'm not even previously incarcerated i am a person. I am a woman, right? I am all the above, and and what I am, I'm free, and that's what it means to be stepping out of she, not just out of prison walls, but just out of the walls completely, of everything in my life, of the traumas, of the challenges, of the obstacles, of the naysayers, of all of those. Like I am free. And that's what it means to step into she.
0: I love that. And you have been authentic today and we loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I know I did. I loved it. I loved it. And, and everything you've said has been so profound and so powerful. And it just further shows the importance of not just this conversation, but the work that, yes. that is happening and continues to and that needs to continue happening. Um, so thank right. you so much. I do want to ask this last question for anyone yes. who's listening. Please tell us what WCJA has going on. And if anyone wants to get involved, how can they do
1: that? Oh, WCJA, we also have um, a task force, which is a collective of women and some men, you know, advocates, people in the community, and we have come together in rapid response um, during COVID, but it has grown into just something bigger. We stand on women issues regardless of what they are. All kind of women and gender expansive people issues right and so we do we do rallies to care packages we write letters and put money in the accounts of women who are incarcerated we take commissary up to the prisons we take uh, a mask and whatever it is that needs to be done we do and you could be a part of that you can reach me at Sharon S H A R O N at W C j a org again it's sharon s h a r o n at w c j a as in women's community justice association dot org or six four six five four six eight five nine one all is welcome all because we are all inclusive and we we just stand on um justice for women and gender expansive people and always thank you
0: thank you and she even gave you all your phone number so there's no excuse <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she gave you the email and the phone number so please check out the work that they're doing thank you so much for this conversation this has been so inspiring it's so powerful Um, I hope everyone who is listening feels inspired to shift the narrative and start these conversations, not just within their communities, but nationally, globally, however you can put um, this conversation on your platform. I hope you guys do that. And thank you again for coming on to Stepping Into Sheet podcast. This conversation was amazing. And we look forward to the work that's coming. That's right. We fight until it's right. Yes. We fight until it's right. That is, that's the name. Yes. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey y'all, the episode you are about to listen to features the amazing Sharon White Harrington. is the executive director of the Women's Community Justice Association located right here in New York City. Prior to her appointment to the Women's Community Justice Association, Ms. Sharon White-Harrington was the program director and clinical director of temporary residence for formerly incarcerated women at the Women's Prison Association. She has worked in a range of direct service fields, including reentry, domestic violence, homelessness, mental health, substance abuse, and so much more. I hope you guys check out their website. Look on ways you can get involved in the work and how you can support and be an advocate for women in justice and policy change.